Well, good morning to you all. As we begin this morning, I want you to think back. I want you to think back to your school days. Now, for some of us, that's a little bit longer than others, and I understand that, so do the best that you can. But I want you to think back to school. Specifically, I want you to think back to gym class. Now, depending on what you thought of gym class, you're either going, ugh, or you're like, all right, cool. Most of us probably had that one gym activity or game that we came to dread more than others. I enjoyed gym class for the most part, but there was one for me that I really just disliked. For me, I dreaded playing tug-of-war. I really didn't like tug-of-war, and I'll explain why. See, I was always a bigger kid. I always fit in husky-sized clothes. And so being a bigger kid, I was often picked first for tug-of-war. They had high expectations of me for tug-of-war. But while I was a big kid, I was a softy at heart, and I was kind of, what I'd say, weak. To put it uh, in another way, I was kind of like the marshmallow fluff man, if you will. <laughs> or the Pillsbury Doughboy. Woohoo! I'll admit it. I, and at that, that time in my life, I really wasn't super competitive either. So the idea of being the anchor for tug-of-war and having to, to be responsible for not letting the flag cross the line was pressure that I didn't really like. I hated the rope burns my hands would get, and I hated the pressure and ultimately the humility of knowing that I was not quite strong enough to, to fulfill what the expectation was of me. As much as I hated tug-of-war... The game does kind of teach us a little bit about life. Life is full of tug-of-war kind of scenarios. And as I was thinking about some, some major moments came to mind, such as graduating high school and deciding which college to pursue and why is kind of a tug-of-war. At least it was for me. What career do I pursue? When do I... When do I propose and how do I propose? Kind of feels like a tug of war. Should I buy or should I rent? Do I buy the newer car or keep my older car? When do I retire or when can I retire? All right, these are all life decisions that kind of feel like a tug of war at times. Which lets us know that life really is a tug of war, a give and take, a back and forth. And the same is true for believers. Whether we are aware of it or not, every born-again believer lives daily with a spiritual and physical tug of war. This tug of war is the daily battle between the physical and the spiritual realities at play in our life. Now, we've been working our way through Philippians over the last several weeks, and uh, we're going to continue in Philippians this morning. 
Last week, we discovered that it was Paul's intent to make the readers know the truth of his circumstances. In his writing, he said, I want you to know he had this desire to make it clear to those reading his letter what his actual circumstance were. We come to today's portion of Paul's letter, having now been made completely aware of his circumstances, and we will see that Paul begins to shift gears on us and create a sort of tug of war between the physical and spiritual that every citizen of heaven encounters. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open to Philippians 1. Our reading this morning will be verses 18 to 26. If you don't have your own Bible, there are some around the room. I encourage you to have God's word open as we study this morning. As you do, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to come and worship you this morning. Worship you in song. We thank you for the giving. Uh, we thank you that we're able to worship you even in our giving. Lord, we come before you with your word open and ask, Lord, that by your Holy Spirit you would speak to us. Lord, in this season of Advent, as we are expecting your arrival, Lord, we know that you are God with us, that you are here in this place now. So, Lord, would you lead this time? Would you guide our hearts? Would you guide our eyes and ears? Holy Spirit, would you minister to our hearts? Not so that we would just gain more knowledge, but that transformation would take place inside of each one of us. Jesus, it's in your name I pray. Amen. I'll be reading out of the English Standard Version. Uh, you can follow along in your own copy of the word. I'm going to start in verse 18 of Philippians 1. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but with the full but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account." Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Paul starts out this section uh, with this kind of rhetorical statement, what then, right? And that, that kind of follows up on last week's message. But it didn't make sense to read part of 18 without the full verse. So he starts out and he says, What then? Only that in every way, either in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. 
For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Verses 18 to 20. Paul reveals two causes for rejoicing. The first is that Christ is being proclaimed, regardless of the motivation. Right? Last week, we, we learned that there were some of the believers in Rome that were preaching Christ out of envy and strife or envy and jealousy. And that there were some preaching Christ out of goodwill. And Paul comes to the conclusion, well, as long as Christ is being proclaimed, that's what matters, and I will rejoice in that. So Christ, uh, Paul is showing us that where Christ is being proclaimed, that brings rejoicing. He picks up another example or cause for rejoicing here in verse 19. He says, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. This uh, phrase, through your prayers, is... Uh, the word through is kind of difficult. Uh, in the original language, it could be translated as because of or by instrumentality of or on account of. What Paul's getting at is, is that in your prayers, through your prayer life, I rejoice. And this just kind of reminds us how important prayer really is. Paul was convinced that through the Philippians' prayer life, it was going to bring something to him. It was, it was through their prayer and, that, and the Spirit of Christ, he was going to be delivered from his circumstances, which we've learned he's in Rome, some 800 miles away. It's been 10 years since he's uh, even talked to anybody in Philippi, and he's in, under house arrest. Um, most believe the first arrest in Rome. And so he is letting the Philippians know, keep praying because it's through your prayers and the spirit of Christ that I know I will, this is going to turn out for me to be delivered. This word turn out uh, is kind of a boating term where it says that, um, that this will turn out for my deliverance, means uh, in the original language, disembark, or result, or become, or happen. And the word deliverance can mean physical release from prison, or can mean eternal salvation. And so Paul's a little bit ambiguous here with, with the language, and I think that's on purpose, because as much as he had confidence that through their prayers, and the Spirit of Christ, that he would get to see them again, nothing's certain. And so he kind of leaves a little bit of ambiguity. Amb yeah, you know what I'm trying to say. Ambiguity, there we go. English is hard. But he leaves some level of uncertainty in what he's saying because none of us know for certain. His hope was to be delivered and come see and continue ministering. But he didn't know for certain. Paul begins to create for us this tug of war 
between the physical reality and the spiritual realities that he was facing, and therefore that we do. Up to this point, the first 19 verses of this chapter, Paul has been focusing on making the Philippians, and us for that matter, understand fully his physical situation. He's in prison. But as we've learned, he's letting us know that even though he's in prison, God is using him. God is still using him, and God has used his imprisonment. So much so that the imperial guards have now heard the gospel and that the believers in Rome are now being emboldened to share Christ. So Paul explains his physical situation to us. We also see that he has a full expectation and hope that whatever comes his way, he will not be ashamed. He will not be ashamed. And in that statement, every citizen of heaven, every born-again believer, every person who has repented of their sin and placed their fullness of trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, who find themselves in this battle, need not be ashamed either. You have to remember that he's writing to the Philippians who are in Greece, but are under, they're a Roman colony. So in every pretense of life, They're treated as a Roman, even if they're not Roman by blood. And so they were under Roman law and uh, all the pros and cons to that. And so preaching Christ in a Roman colony or even in Rome itself was taking your life into your own hands, really. Because Caesar was Lord, Caesar was Savior, and to preach anything other than that was treason. And so here's Paul in prison showing his full expectation and hope that whatever comes, he won't be ashamed. And therefore, every believer can have that confidence too. He ends this section here, verses 18 to 20, with kind of an ominous statement. says, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Basically says, I know I will be delivered, which could be interpreted saved. I will be delivered either alive or dead. Another way of saying it is, come what may, life or death, here and now, Either way, I have full confidence that I will honor Christ. He had this mentality about himself that in his life he would honor Christ and in his death, either way, he was going to glorify Christ. Which would speak to boldness to those reading his letter in the environment that they were in. He continues on in his letter with probably one of the more popular verses in Philippians, starting in verse 21. He says, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. 
but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. It says, to live is Christ. This speaks to the mystery of the union between the believer, the born-again believer in Jesus. Paul's basically saying that if I live, it will provide more opportunities to not only speak Jesus, to speak Christ, but also to allow my life, to allow Jesus to shine through my life. To live is Christ. Everything that Paul did in word and deed was surrendered through the Spirit to Christ. So for him to live was Christ through him in all that he said and did. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 8 to 11, this is Paul again. He says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. Paul understood that as a born-again believer, as one called out of the world to God's kingdom for God's purposes, Christ would live through him in that surrender, and that that was his mission was whatever Christ gave him to do, he would be an example to the world around him, even if it meant being in prison, even if it meant coming to death. And he's writing this letter to the Philippians in a similar difficult situation where the government around them was not very friendly to this new message of salvation, this gospel, the savior of the world. And you could imagine receiving this letter from Paul going, wow, if he has that confidence and he's already in prison, oh man, that's a shot in the arm for me too. But he doesn't stop with to live is Christ. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What is this about? This speaks to the reality for all born-again believers, all who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, who have repented from their old ways, that in our death we gain. In our death we gain. Now, there's a lot lot packed in here because there's a lot of different uh, doctrines, if you will, theologies about what happens to us when we die, what happens to our soul. Two false Doctrines, I think, uh, not think, I would, I would stand on that these are false, that this verse alone speaks very strongly against the doctrines or the false doctrines of soul sleep and purgatory. Soul sleep says that upon death, believing souls enter a sort of suspended animation state until the resurrection occurs. Purgatory says that the believing dead must be purified through suffering before coming into the presence of God. Paul here in his language was convinced that in the moment of his physical death, he gained. Immediately. It would be his gain. 
now. This is the blessed hope that all citizens of heaven have. That we can live our life for Christ and in the moment of physical death we gain now in his presence. This blessed hope allows the believer to stay on mission, to stay missional in a face, excuse me, in the face of a world that is against us. So, in other words, no matter what happens politically in our nation, no matter what happens governmentally, we have the blessed hope that is in Christ that come what may, as we preach Christ, in our death we gain. Now. This is what allows us to stay on mission. It's separating, it's separating our earthly desires for something greater. Understanding our citizenship in heaven. Separating the two. Are you sen- starting to sense this tug of war that happens inside of us? Paul was convinced that to die was gain. He doubles down on this. He says, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. He understands that if it's God's provision that he will live through this, it just means more, more work to be done, more ministry, more preaching Christ. His imprisonment wasn't going to scare him out of sharing the gospel fruitful labor for him. But he's honest with us, and I, and I really appreciate his honesty when he says, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. And this is the reality that every believer faces. We, we, we desire greatly to be in the immediate presence of our Lord and Savior in heaven, but we also know he has work for us here. And this is a tug of war. He says, My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Paul's desire to depart this life and be with Jesus is something we need to read with caution. Because some could read this and say, See, even Paul had suicidal thoughts. Don't read it that way. That's not what Paul is saying. We have to be careful. His motivations for this statement are not from a place of despair or hopelessness. He is not making this statement because he is in despair. He just simply understands that when that day comes, when Christ either calls him home or comes back again, that day is far better. He had an intimacy with Jesus already, but he also knew that because of his flesh, this intimacy with him could only go so far. And Paul knew that once he was free from this flesh, his soul would forever be in the presence of his wonderful Lord and Savior. Therefore, he longs to depart, but not because of despair because of hope and because of the taste that he's received 
from the Lord, the goodness from the Lord has prompted him to say, oh, that day will be so far above anything I've ever received in this life. And that is something I long for. Paul also realizes that God still has ministry left for him to accomplish. He says, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. He says, as much as I long to be with my Lord and Savior in his presence in heaven, for I know that that is so much more superior than anything I've experienced to this point, I realize God still has a mission for me. He still has purpose for me here. And he's writing specifically to the Philippians and encouraging them that he knows that God has a purpose for him still with them. And this is, a, this is a, a pivotal point for us to take home as believers in Christ, as citizens of heaven, is that until Christ calls each one of us home or returns, each one of us have ministry to do. Each one of us have a call placed on our life. Each one of us have purpose in this place. And it's a tug of war between surrendering to that call or just living my daily life. And like Paul, he says, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed. The reality is, we live in this world. The, the world has so much consumerism, so many things that distract us from the goodness of Christ that it makes it increasingly more difficult to let that go. The further we walk from Christ, the harder it is to turn and let that stuff go and experience that fullness and wonderfulness of Christ. Sometimes, through our trials, we get a glimpse of Jesus' goodness in a way we haven't yet. And Paul is sitting in prison with that experience and going, oh, if this is just a, if this is just a drop on the tongue, I can't imagine what being in his immediate glory would be like. The citizen of heaven the believer has a tug of war between the things of this world and living out our calling in Christ, drawing closer to Jesus. The reality is there are many Christians in America specifically, there are many believers simply satisfied with just that little drop, that little taste I've got just enough Jesus, I've, and I'm, I got my ticket, and I'm okay. But Paul reveals that there's so much more. There's so much more to receive from Jesus, even in our earthly ministry, in this life, until he calls us home. That if we choose to lean this way with Christ, Christ's goodness will outpour from his spirit to us and give us more. 
but it is tug of war. It is a daily, sometimes multiple times a day, tug of war. And it all comes down to choice. It comes down to what I'm going to choose, which side I'm going to tug on, which side I'm going to anchor, which side I'm going to be fighting for. Paul made up his mind. He said, I know that it's far better for me to die, but I know he has plans for me, and so I'm going to keep fighting. I'm going to keep ministering. Continues in verses 25 and 26, he says, Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Paul comes to the conclusion here in this section where he sets his own desires aside. He, he expresses his desire is to, to be with Jesus. His desire is to be in the fullness of God's glory, to be in the fullness in heaven. Yet, he lays his desires aside and continues to serve his Savior, to continue to serve the body of Christ. And he says that I'm convinced, he's convinced of his calling to serve the church in Philippi. He says, I will remain, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress. This word progress means advancement or furtherment. This speaks to the reality that the born-again believer starts their spiritual life as an infant, as a baby in Christ. And that we are meant to grow, to progress in that faith. We're meant to grow up in the Lord. We're meant to, upon that initial salvation, to continue to be made more in Christ's image through our growth and maturity in the faith. It's not meant to be just a one-time decision. It's meant to be a decision that we continue to make daily. Sometimes multiple times a day, if we're honest with ourselves. This is what he means by progress, the advancement. It says, for your progress and for your joy in the faith. This word joy is gladness or cheerfulness. Joy. But he doesn't just say that they would be happy for, for their happiness or their gladness. No, he says, for their gladness, their cheerfulness, their joy in the faith. In this walk, in their relationship with Jesus, what they trust, what they hold to, their confidence. He says, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your growth and for your joy in the faith. My friends, if you're in a, in a spot with Jesus where you've just had just a drop and you've been satisfied, let me just tell you that there's so much more. There's so much more that the Lord wants you to experience. There's so much more that he's calling you to. There's so much more 
to know personally, not just know intellectually, but to know with Jesus. But it takes letting go of the distractions of this world and leaning closer and taking the side with Jesus in this tug of war. We are called to grow in Christ. And it doesn't matter where you're at. If you're here on this world, in this world, there's still growth left. (laughs) If there wasn't, Christ would call you home. So in closing, citizens of heaven live in a tug of war. We live in a tug of war between the desires of being fully in Jesus' presence, which is our heavenly citizenship, and the desires of living our lives here on earth, our earthly citizenship, and all that comes with that. Our, especially in America, that would come with all of our, our rights, if you will. Paul shows us that in our earthly citizenship, we can actually live our lives as heavenly citizens. And when we do, when we live here on earth as citizens of heaven, we can face anything the world throws our way because our hope is in Jesus Christ in life and death. We're going to go to that closing song. So I'm going to invite Amy forward. But before we go to this closing song, let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just admit, Lord, and repent of maybe being satisfied where we're at. Lord, I pray that today would be the day where believers, citizens of heaven, would earnestly desire more of you, where we would desire this growth, this progress to be made in our faith and our relationship with you. Lord, we also admit that there are distractions, that there are worldly pleasures and worldly desires that do often take us away from your goodness. Lord, you have called each one of us to yourself. You've called us out of this world. You've set us apart. Not only have you called us out of this world, you've called us to yourself for your purposes. Lord, and you have a mission for each one of us. You have a mission for your church, but personally for each one, you have mission to go and make disciples to be investing in the lives of others who are not as far along so Lord I pray that wherever the enemy has interceded into the mind and placed these lies of not being good enough or not having enough knowledge not having enough skill I'm too old I'm too young whatever the case may be Lord I pray that in the name of Jesus you would remove those lies 
and replace them with truth. That you would call your church to be on mission with you once more. And that we, your church, your bride, would respond and come to a place that come what may, whatever the world would throw our way, our hope and peace would be found in you alone. It's in your name we pray. Amen.